0: So we're going to look at a couple of different Bible passages today. We're going to recap what others um, have shared in the series. And we're going to end the um, relationship series, Made for Relationship, by thinking about church family. So that's where we're heading. Um, Two Bible passages. The first is Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6. We've been in Ephesians once already this series. Lee took us through Ephesians 5 as we thought about marriage. And then after we've read Ephesians 4, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12. So Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, and you'll recognize some of these words from the baptism liturgy that we used a few moments ago. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27. Just as a body, though one, has many parts... All its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Church, this is the word of the Lord. So just to recap where we've been for the past six weeks or so, um, if you're new, we're in the middle of a series called Made for Relationship. Here at St Thomas's. we are a church that believe has been called here, um, we're relatively new, been going for just over two years, to follow Jesus, to build community and to love Newcastle. And at the heart of all of that is the fact that we are made for relationships. And so we want to get relationships right and be the healthiest church family that we can possibly be. So far in the series, we have looked at a few things. Firstly, we looked at friendship, how we're all wired for deep, intimate friendship. We thought, didn't we, about some of the lies that culture teaches us about relationships, that the highest form of relationships in culture seem to be romantic but the Bible has a really high view of friendship. In fact, the Bible says that a true friend is closer even than a brother. And so we thought about how we're called to cultivate deep, intimate relationships that are intentional with one another. We then looked at sexuality. Ed Shaw from Living Out came to share how the Bible's vision for sexuality is good news for us and it's also good news. For the world. He shared his story about how his own openness, about his own sexuality um, being attracted to men and seeing where the Bible te- what the Bible teaches about sex, that sex is for marriage and marriage is a lifelong union between a man and a woman, has brought so much freedom to him as he's explored that in the context of community and seen how that is good news for us. We then looked at dating with Adam and Abby, which was fantastic. Dating isn't really a thing in the Bible, of course, Um, but Adam and Abby took us through some really helpful principles as we went through some Bible passages together and how we saw that dating is basically just another subset of Christian friendship and how we're called to work out that stuff in community. The week after that, Lee took us through the doctrine of marriage as he took us through Ephesians 5 and the Anglican marriage liturgy, and And Lee spent some time debunking some myths about marriage, that it is not better than singleness, that it does not make you any less lonely, that it is not the relationship that we should all be striving for. But marriage is a gift to the church, it's a blessing to community, and it's a picture of Christ's love For his church and a picture that the world can look at and glimpse and see Jesus's love. Then last week, Alice and I took us through 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul seems to suggest that singleness might even, for some people, be better than marriage. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, I wish you were all single as I am. We thought about how singleness is a gift, It's a gift to the church, it's a gift to the individuals who are single. And we thought about some of the ways in which we need to repent and have the culture of the church in the West in particular critiqued and how we need to be more honoring and loving with our language. And we thought about how singleness helps us redefine community and love and sex and family. And that's where we ended last week. And today we're thinking about family and about church family in particular. Now, let me say, just for those of you that are new and who haven't been around at all for the past five weeks or so, um, why we're doing this series. As ever, some of the stuff that we look at today, and this is true every single Sunday, it's not just true when, we, when we're thinking about relationships and friendships and sex and all of, that, all of those types of things. Um, some of the stuff that we look at today in the Bible passage, is going to be at odds with our experience. It is going to be at odds with what culture says to us about family. It is going to be at odds with what I want to be true sometimes and what all of us want to be true about family. But we want to be formed, don't we, by God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're aware that all of us are in in the process of spiritual formation. We're being formed by our friends, our family. Our university, our workplace, Netflix, we're all in the process of spiritual formation. And we want to be formed by the power of God's Spirit. And what the Bible says about family, as what it says about everything that we've looked at over the past six weeks, is good news. So, flick back to Ephesians 4 with me. And as you do that, I wonder what it is that you think of when you first hear the word family. Just being really honest, for some of us, it's going to conjure up really happy, joyful, life-giving memories. For some of us, when we think about family, we're taken back to points in our life that we're really happy. For, other, for others of us, though, here today, the word family is going to be tinged with sadness and pain and hurt. For some of us, it's going to be a mixture of both of those things. The other thing I think that we'll think of when we first hear the word family is that we immediately begin to think of our biological families. We think of two parents and some children. And yes, that is family. One of the ways in which God is ordering creation is through the biological family. But that is not the totality of family. The Bible's picture of family does not stop with the biological unit. It is not the ultimate vision of family even. The church is the ultimate vision of family in the Bible. Now, it's worth saying, again, at this point, for some of us, some of us here today have probably had really difficult relationships with church family as well stuff has been said to us in the context of church or about about us that we may have heard about, or we've had really difficult, painful um, relationships with people in, in churches, or maybe even in this church. And that's because we're all human. We all make mistakes. The church is not perfect. One of the reasons though that we, we were so keen on doing this series is that as we start out as a relatively young church, just two and a bit years old, we want the Bible to teach us how we can build the healthiest relationships with each other so that we can be the healthiest church family that we can possibly be. Because that is the biggest gift to this city and to this region and even the world, when the church learns what it means to deeply love one another, to bear with one another, to rejoice with one another, to grieve with one another, the church at its best is the most wonderful, amazing thing. It's the most beautiful, diverse, and global family that has ever been thought of. So from today, right, as as we're here today, from Jesmond to Johannesburg, from Kenton to Kiev, from Long Benton to Louisiana, from Newcastle to North Korea, all over the world, the church family is gathering and worshiping Jesus and loving one another. The vision of church is the most inclusive, welcome and grace-filled picture of human flourishing that has ever been conceived by the human mind. But it wasn't conceived by the human mind, it was conceived by God's mind and that's why it is the most beautiful thing. So three things about church family we're going to look at today. The first is that we're one family as has been pictured in baptism just a few moments ago. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus was written to assure God's people of their identity in Jesus that they were chosen that they were predestined even before creation and that they have been reconciled with God but also been reconciled with each other and that was true regardless of their background paul writes in ephesians 4 it didn't matter whether they were jew or greek they were one now they were part of one family in jesus and church the same is true for us it doesn't matter if you're, if, you're a, if you're a local Geordie or if you're from down south. It doesn't matter if you're from Sheffield or from Switzerland. Charlotte's from Sheffield, Emily's Leeds, Switzerland. It doesn't matter if we're black or white, rich or poor, young or old, Asian or South American. All of us have been made one in Jesus through baptism. And this is what Paul is trying to hammer home in Ephesians 4. So look at Ephesians 4 with me. The first verse that we looked at, live a life worthy of your calling. In verse 2, he explains what that looks like a little bit. It means being patient, bearing with one another in love. We spent a lot of time thinking about that six weeks ago, didn't we, when we were looking at friendship In verse 3, he says, stay united. Keep the spirit of unity. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. There's only division in the church because we mess up and because we sin. Verse 4, Paul says that this is why we should do all of those things. Because we are one. There is only one body. Because there is only one spirit. There is only one baptism. The same spirit that dwells in me dwells in Will, who dwells in Essie, who dwells in Charlotte, who dwells in Bryony, and so it goes on. The same spirit resides in each of us. And we all have one shared hope. And the hope is not ourselves. It's not our level of intellect. It's not where we come from. Our one hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is getting at when in, in the fifth verse we looked at from Ephesians 4, he writes, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Baptism is a brilliant picture of us being one family. Everybody who's been baptised throughout history has been baptised using exactly the same words. I baptise you in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You can't change those words because it shows unity, that we've all been baptised into the same family and into the same relationship with God, into God's life even. That's what makes us one. And that's why the Bible's ultimate vision for family is not just the biological family, but the church family. You'll have heard us say throughout, throughout this series a number of times, The waters of baptism are thicker than blood. The waters of baptism are thicker than blood. So take a look at the person on your left and on your right. They are your family. God has called us together and made us one. Now, Paul says exactly the same thing to the church in Corinth. So flick with me to 1 Corinthians 12, back in your Bibles, verses 12 and 13. Even though we are many, because we have one baptism, we are one body. As Charlotte and Emily were baptized just a minute ago, the same father was speaking his affirmation over them. Every time somebody is baptized, I said this um, a moment ago. What's true for Jesus in his baptism is true for us in ours. As Jesus was baptized, the Father speaks over him Here is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. The same just happened with Charlotte and Emily. God speak, God the Father speaks over them You are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And the promise of the sign and seal of the Holy Spirit, was given. Now, what was happening in the church in Corinth was that some people were thinking that their gift or their calling was more important or sometimes less important than others. And as a result, factions were rising in the church now, this is always going to be true in the sense of, you know, you can't do church with 250 people, 300 people, 3,000 people, even 50 people. Um, you, you can't build the same level of relationships with everybody. And that's why we have small groups, different congregations, etc., etc. But the call on us as a church family, regardless of all of that, is to model that we are one. We are one family. And one of the things that we're going to be thinking about in small, in, in small groups, although lots of you will be at the worship night on Tuesday, still have a look at the resources. One of the things that we're going to be thinking about is how we can model the fact that we are one. That we're one family together. Now, because we're one family, the second thing that I want us to think about today, and Paul really hammers home this point in 1 Corinthians 12. Because we are one, we all are belong. We all belong. Now, Paul's theological vision for the church family that we've read about in Ephesians and um, 1 Corinthians has some real implications for how we do relationships with one another. And this is one of the most significant, that every single one of us belongs. If you look at verses 15 to 19 in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses some fairly um, vivid imagery To to sum this up, a hand can't say that it doesn't belong to a body because it's not a foot. An ear can't say that it doesn't belong to a body because it's not an eye. We need each other and all of us belong together. Now, I know how tempting it is for us to look at the people around us Maybe to look at the people in our small groups or to, you know, when we come on a Sunday, to look at the people that are worshipping with us and come to the conclusion, I don't belong here. And that could be for a whole number of reasons. But Paul's really clear, isn't he? The foot can't say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Now, perhaps you feel that because you're not like Will that you don't belong here. Or because you're not like me, you don't belong here. Or because you're not like Lee, you don't belong here. Perhaps you compare yourself to other people and think there's no way that I could ever belong in the church family. Perhaps there's some stuff that we're carrying from... Our past, and when we walk into church or we turn up a small group, we think, "If only they knew what I'd done." or if only they knew what had been done to me, there's no way that they would think that I should belong." The lies of the enemy get in, don't they, and we suddenly begin to exclude ourselves from belonging. But Paul's really clear, because we have the same baptism, because we have the same life story, because we've all been raised from death to new life in Jesus, we all belong. So for those of us that have excluded ourselves from belonging, because we compare ourselves to others or because of stuff that we've done or stuff that's been done to us, or because we don't feel that we're a cultural fit or whatever it might be, My prayer is that those lies stop today in Jesus' name and that you hear me say, you hear Paul say, you hear God say over you that you do belong. This is home. David Watson, who was a previous vicar of St. Michael of Belfry, where myself and a few of the planting team came from a couple of years ago, he wrote this in his book, I Believe in the Church. When we come to the cross of Christ, we come not as Protestants or Catholics or anything else. We come as sinners who urgently need the mercy and forgiveness of God. At the cross, there is no distinction whatsoever. And providing we all put our trust in Christ, God accepts us in the beloved and treats us as his holy, righteous, perfect children and once again there is no distinction we are all children of the one father we all belong to the one body we are all indwelt by the one spirit we are all members of the one true church now my prayer has been over the past six weeks that we'll that we'll have seen as we've looked at these various different topics how what the church teaches on relationships and singleness and sex and marriage and all of the stuff that we've looked at is the most radical and inclusive thing that has ever been thought of by the human mind, as I keep saying. And the reason that that is true is because regardless of our relationship status, our sexual orientation, our biological family of origin, where we've come from in the world, whatever our background is, We all come to Jesus as sinners. While we were still far off, Jesus died for each of us. And all of us are received through Jesus as being made holy and perfect and righteous and blameless. All is equal at the foot of the cross. The Bible's vision for the church is genuinely the most radical form of community that has ever been written about, ever been prayed about, ever been hoped for. Tim Keller put it like this, that all of us are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And at the very same time, more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So, regardless of who we are, what we've come with today, we all belong. Now, again, some of the things that I think we need to work on together as church family is asking some questions like, how can we help each other know that we belong? For those of us that on the feel like we're on the edge sometimes, not just of church community but any community, how? How can we as church family notice those people and bring them in? Because we all belong. We don't just leave the welcome to the welcome team. If you're here, this is your family. And that means that we're all the welcome team. If we spot somebody that we've never seen before, we don't just leave it to Brogan or somebody else to go and say hello. We all go and do it because this is our family and we together welcome New people into our family. Perhaps we need to speak more language of belonging over one another. Remind each other that we really do belong together. Perhaps some of us need to get more involved, join a team, join a small group, maybe hang out with some different people, invite different people that we've never spoken to before after church over for Sunday lunch or something. But let's get involved and remind each other that all of us belong. The third and final thing is this. Paul reminds us that you don't just belong, but the church desperately needs you. Look at verses 21 to 22. In Paul's language... It's more than just that the church needs you. It's that you are totally indispensable to the church family. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought that about yourself before, that you're just totally indispensable to this church family. But that is what Paul is saying. Perhaps we need to behave more as the communities if this is really true. Just after the Second World War, the archbishops of York and Canterbury wrote an extraordinary letter that went out to every single member of the Church of England. Anyone who was baptised and worshipping in the Church of England had this read to them or got this delivered. And they basically wrote to every Anglican in England um, these things, that all of the baptised and worshipping members of the Church of England should do these things. Follow the example of Jesus and bear witness to him in evangelism have a healthy rhythm of daily prayer, read the Bible diligently and carefully, take communion faithfully and regularly, serve the church and the community, give financially to the church, uphold the church's teaching on marriage, ensure that children are brought up to love and know Jesus, and come to church every single Sunday. Now, it's an interesting list, isn't it? One that I still think we should probably reissue quite a lot. But why did they write that Christians should attend and show up for church every single Sunday? Well, the reason that they wrote that is because every single one of you, every single Christian, is completely indispensable to the church family. You are an essential part of the church. It's not just that you belong, it's that you belong and you are totally essential. One of the things that we've been looking at as we've been going through this series together is how we need each other. All of us bring something unique and different to the church family. You all bring something that I do not bring to St Thomas's. Imagine if, everybody, if everyone at St Thomas's, was like me, it would be absolutely horrendous. I know that a lot of you think that one of me is bad enough. Imagine me multiplied out loads of times. It would be awful. What we need is one another to thrive. And that's why we need to continue to work out what it means for us to do intentional friendship. It's why we need to support one another in our singleness or our marriages. It's why when Lee spoke about marriage a few weeks ago, he said that it takes a church family to raise a child. There's an African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. We say it takes a church family to raise a child. We all need to get involved in bringing up children. We need each other's different experiences, different life backgrounds, different stages of life. I need you in order for me to thrive. I need you in order for me to thrive. To be healthy. But you also need me. We need each other. So what do we communicate if we decide to not show up for several weeks or a few months? Or we decide that I won't go to small groups tonight because I've got nothing to contribute. They really don't need me there or I decide not to come on a Sunday just because I don't feel like I should be there for whatever reason. What we're communicating is that, if I do that, what I'm communicating is that you don't need me. And I'm also communicating that I don't need you. But the Bible says that we need each other. So one of the things I really want to say today is, Please don't rob me of you. Don't rob the person on your left or on your right of your presence, of what you uniquely have to bring. I was talking about this with um, Luke and Libby on Thursday evening with, with Ellie, my wife. And um, we were talking about how, you know, being part of the church family is costly. How it, how it requires something of us that we sometimes don't want to bring. It requires our effort and our energy and our money and our time and our emotional commitment. And sometimes that's challenging and that's difficult. When I got home later that evening on Thursday, I read this article written by Megan Hill, who writes for the Gospel Coalition, and she wrote this. The church is not a man-made society that we can participate in or opt out of according to our own level of comfort. The church is not the neighborhood association or the library club or the local football club that don't obligate us to personal sacrifice when things get tough, but family does. And because God's people are our family, we will hold our own preferences and priorities loosely. We will open up our hearts and our doors we will pull up another chair to the dinner table and add another name to the prayer list. We will give the church family our groceries and our furniture and our smiles and our hugs. We will share their grief and trials and their disappointments. We will always look for ways to show love. But as a result, we will expect to have less money and less free time than we would have on our own. We will expect to have added sorrow, but we will also expect to have great joy. This kind of vision for family is costly. It does require us to commit. It does require us to recognize that we need one another and it's not always easy but it's the most life-giving, wonderful community that I could possibly ever think of. Showing up, giving our money, giving our time, giving our resources is costly, but it is so worth it. And isn't that what Paul says in verses 22 to 27 of 1 Corinthians 12? Even those parts of the body, verse 22, that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That means that we give to the bits of the body that need our attention. The parts that we think, or culture says, are less honourable, we treat with even more honour. Working at division and treating one another equally is costly. It means that if I suffer, everybody suffers. If Essie rejoices, then all of us rejoice. That's what it means to be part of family. And what a beautiful picture of family that is. So, some questions that we may want to think about in light of this point that we need each other, that each of us is indispensable. Where do I need to commit more to this family? Where do I need to give more? Where do I need to celebrate more? Where do I need to grieve more with the people that I know are grieving and for whom life isn't easy at the moment? And the reason that we do that is because we need one another. So as we end this series on relationships, we're reminded that we are one family. And that one of the calls that God has placed on us is to try and work out together what it means for us to be the healthiest church family that we can be. To remind one another that we belong, regardless of what's happened to us, what we think, what's been done to us, we all belong. And for us to speak over one another that we are indispensable and essential to one another so that we can all thrive in Jesus. Now, this vision of family and relationships can't be done without us remembering what Paul wrote at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, um, verses 12, 13, 14, and, and in Ephesians 4. It can't be done without us recognizing that the one Holy Spirit indwells us all. We need the power of God to walk and live this out. And so we're going to respond now to ask for us at the end of this relationship series for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh and to give us the conviction and the strength, the encouragement and the power to live out all that we've learned over the past six weeks and to begin to put it into practice. I can invite you to stand where you are now. And we're going to pray that most ancient prayer of the church. Come Holy Spirit.